1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Conference USA podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, This was a big and eventful week for CUSA on the field, and there is plenty to talk about. We will get to all that in just a minute. Uh, Off the top, though, do want to address two things. One uh, for all of our uh, our listeners who were you know affected by Hurricane Tropical Storm Ida in the past couple of weeks. Uh, just know that you are in our thoughts and um, certainly hope that you all are safe, sound, and uh, you know, wishing you all the best as you continue to kind of recover from that um second of all on this week's episode you might notice it it sounds a little different the music's not there um maybe it sounds a little bit worse for wear uh that's because i'm editing it this time around and our usual superstar producer uh taylor bauer uh had to step out to uh you know deal with deal with some stuff but um sorry about that if it doesn't sound as good but uh we know taylor will be back and uh you're in our thoughts as well buddy um so we'll be back soon with our usual level of quality but until then joe Lundry and eric henry here with you to talk all of the amazing news and notes from cosa this past week including some big p5 wins that i'm excited to talk about eric
0: absolutely joe that is a refreshing change from last year which it seems conference usa just couldn't catch a break in relation to a playing out of conference games and b when they had a chance to play power five games yeah we didn't fare too well as a conference so it was a nice refreshing change to see that the uh, Conference USA teams were able to stack up really well and get a couple of wins. and we almost had another one. We had a game that came down to one point, one that you know, we'll get into that a little later on. Um, and also want to echo the, the sentiments that you led the podcast with. First off, for those of you, you know who are consistent listeners of the podcast, or for those of you who are just discovering our podcast, Taylor Bauer is a invaluable member of our underdog dynasty team. Without him, we would not sound the way we do, and our podcast, quite frankly, would not come off as professional. I see that in air quotes for whatever level of professionalism you want to assign to Joe and I, that is strictly because of one Taylor Bauer. So I wanted to wish him well wishes and also same to those who are dealing with the effects of Ida, someone who lives in Florida. Of course, Joe has spent time in Florida and in you know Southern States. He knows that this time of year is, is one that um, it, it's, I'll say this, Joe, I think it's something that speaking for me here in, in Tampa we take for granted because we haven't had a "quote unquote" direct hit, you know, or, or suffered any really major effects. You know, we get rain, we get winds, and you know, not to be flippant, but for the past decade or so, hurricanes have just been a reason to go out and you know drink because the power is going to go out for a little while. But you know, that 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 we tend to underscore the the really the effects of. How dangerous these things are. So, for everyone who is being affected and has been displaced by IDA, whether it's in the Northeast, Louisiana, et cetera, um, your thoughts, uh, our thoughts, excuse me, are with you guys. So, want to uh, echo that as well.
1: Well said. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can take uh, or everyone can take a little solace in just the, you know, the entertainment value of the, uh, you know, college football weekend that we had. Just something to take your mind off of of things for a little while. Um, So with that, let's jump into what we saw from UAB and Jacksonville State uh, this past Wednesday. Blazers pitch a shutout there, 31 to 0. Tyler Johnston really had the long ball working in this game. Uh, Honestly, Eric, this would have been a 40-plus point win for the Blazers had some of Johnston's receivers not dropped some very catchable deep passes in the first half. Uh, But UAB controlled it the whole way, had 518 total yards of offense, and ultimately did what they were supposed to do against an FCS opponent.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. And, Joe, really quickly, not just an FCS opponent but a very, very – tough competitive fcs opponent in jacksonville state one that as i mentioned in last week's podcast defeated fiu so they already have a history of pulling the upset against conference usa teams and not only that they have an nfl prospect in sarah cooper at quarterback so listen and i think i mentioned that josh Daniel, well, former western Kentucky running backs on that team as well so not a you know team that is going to take for granted but uab really put together an impressive performance i saw when i was watching that game some of the social media reaction was You know, the fact that the game was zero zero after one quarter. But as you mentioned, there were some plays left on the field from the UAB receivers. But you mentioned it, Joe. The long ball was really going. And that's something that, as I've talked about, is really a staple of Bryant Vincent's offense. And I know I've kind of made a point in talking about the yards per attempt and how that kind of plays a factor in completion percentage. And that's why I am here doing this podcast. And Bryant Vincent has a uh, coaching gig which he's paid handsomely to run an offense right Tyler Johnson goes 17 of 21 for 320 yards two touchdowns so certainly an impressive performance don't know that we can expect that on a weekly basis but overall Joel if they can get any semblance of that 60 70 percent of that right in terms of 17 for 21 is that 80 80 percent shade under 80 percent of memory if my quick math is correct if Tyler Johnson's completing 65 percent of his passes or higher and they're getting the running game from Jermaine Brown Jr. and Dwayne McBride UAB is going to be right there, right? So in that case, in, in, in conjunction with their defense. So uh, definitely good things for them to build on as they move into uh, next week and the next opponent.
1: For sure. And one of the things that uh, impressed me, in addition to Johnston's overall level of play in this game, was just the way that, you know, um, their running back by committee situation really seemed to be working in their favor. I know a lot of people were concerned about how they were going to replace the production that Spencer Brown brought to that offense last year there was one other thing that was very entertaining about this game and that was the fact that we had two longtime best friends in Bill Clark and John Grass uh, coaching against each other and one thing that especially tickled me about this during the broadcast was they told the story of how Coach Grass introduced Coach Clark to his wife at an O'Charlie's some uh, 20 odd years ago and I guess the way that Coach Clark's wife tells it was uh, he was wearing a fresh pair of acid-washed jeans that he forgot to take the tag off of. And the funniest thing about it to me was, I guess she went home and told her mom, like, this is the one, like, immediately new. And <laughs> that's, just, that's very silly, but a very sweet, like, suburban love story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, You say suburban, I'll say a very southern love story because it, it involved, oh, Charlie's. You know, if, uh, for those of our listeners who may be in different parts of the nation, of course, our, most of our CUSA cities, uh, Joe, pretty much every CUSA city you think has a, o- well, never mind, Miami doesn't have no Charlies. Boca doesn't have no Charlies. but outside of that, the rest of our CUSA cities have O'Charlie's, so they understand that that is a, a very uh, regionally unique restaurant and chain, but yeah, as you mentioned, the, the Acid Wash, jeans excuse me easy for me to say and and you gotta love the fact that he forgot to take the tag off right we've all pulled that move i know i have
1: the best thing about that whole thing for me was i feel like oh charlie's got more goodwill from that one mention than apple d applebee's did in this whole weekend with their god-awful commercial whatever that was about oreo shakes and i i have a whole rant i could go on that i was honestly probably saving for the middle segment about that that damn applebee's commercial
0: Joe, neither of us need to get in trouble because I don't know <laughs> what the revocations are of us both ranting about Applebee's because I have strong feelings about Applebee's as well. And, and before you transition, Joe, just you know, a, a quick shout to one of our listeners, uh, our buddy Tintin. I'm sure he has some stories about Oh uh, Charlie's and and how he met his spouse. So uh, he'll he'll be sure to DM me on that one. Uh, go ahead, Joe.
1: <laughs> the, the last thing I'll say about the Applebee's commercial, and then I promise I'm done with it. <laughs> what? One of the what, what, <laughs> one of the lyrics is. Two straws, one check, girl. I got you. If you're taking a girl to Applebee's on a date night, you damn well, better, you damn well better be paying. Like <laughs> that should go without saying. If you're, if you're older than the age of seventeen, you're, yes.
0: You're
1: paying. Yes. But anyway, um, you two would be, of us are, are, are
0: never welcome to Applebee's ever again. Go ahead, Jeff.
1: I don't. Chili's all the way. How about that?
0: Well, of course, yeah. Not that I ever have any desire to be in Applebee's. But. <laughs> Uh so UAB gets things oh, half price apps after 10. All right, sorry. Let's do this podcast. Sorry.
1: <laughs> uh UAB gets things started off on the right foot. Uh, so did Western Kentucky against UT Martin. Uh WKU ultimately wins this game 59 to 21. Uh Bailey Zappi throws for seven touchdowns and 424 yards through the air. A uh, great way to start the season for the Tops. But there were two things in this game that bothered me, Eric. One was just the sloppy start overall for Tyson Helton's team. Uh, had some penalties and a lost fumble that really prevented the Tops from breaking away early. And the second was the run defense. Uh, UT Martin had the ball for about eight minutes longer than the Tops did, and uh, the Skyhawks earned over 200 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. And that is going to have to improve quickly because guess what? You have Army and a really good rushing offense on the schedule next week.
0: Yeah, no, you make an excellent point there, especially when you talk about Army. The best way to neutralize that air raid, Zach Kitley- Bailey, Zappy offense is to hold the ball, keep the ball out of their hands. Army is more than equipped to do that. Joe, before I give my synopsis of the game, I just want to ask you one thing, and I guess I could have saved this till after, but it's just kind of burning on my brain now because I had a chance to watch that game back. Any part of you a little bit, listen, I don't want to make a mountain uh, out of a molehill about one game. D'Angelo Malone, two tackles. I don't think he had a tackle for loss. It's one game, but neither he nor Juwan Jones were able to get to the quarterback, and you would think against an FCS opponent that they would be able to, I don't know. I mean, Listen, those guys are premier pass rushers
1: in CUSA, and, and Malone, we all think, is
0: an NFL prospect. I just—any part of that trouble you
1: at all? Yes and no. Ultimately, I did expect his stat line to be a little bit better than it was, but based on watching that game, it kind of seemed like once they realized that the middle of Western Kentucky's defensive line was especially vulnerable to the to the run, they just kept going at it. Um, whereas when they tried those, like, you know, tricky little sweeps around the edge, Malone was there and the, the corners and the outside guys were typically like right there to stop it. Uh, or if they weren't then the play ensued, but ultimately it seemed like as the game went on, UT Martin was favoring kind of inside runs, uh, as opposed to going around the edge because they knew what was waiting for them.
0: No, no, I hear you, and that's something that we can talk about. West Kentucky really hurt by the loss of Ricky Barber, who is now playing at my alma mater, UCF. Joe, really quick, had a uh, Conference USA assistant coach and a Conference, U- Conference USA offensive line coach tell me that Ricky Barber was one of the top interior defensive linemen that they played against. We're talking about a guy who was a freshman last year, so it goes and shows how good he was, and the top's were really missing him on the inside but just as far as the rest of the game is concerned yeah it was a slow start that first drive in particular for UT Martin led by Keon Howard of course another former CUSA quarterback one who spent some time at Southern Miss and most recent stop was Tulane but yeah I mean they had an excellent first drive drove down the field it looked like they were gonna be able to make a game of it for a little bit And of course that has to give Topps fans a little bit of a a pause in their heart and getting another FCS opponent's going to come into and Smith stadium and, you know, maybe have a chance to pull off up the upset, but all in all Bailey Zappi did what he expected. And I just really, if there's one thing, Joe, that's my biggest takeaway from this game. I, and I said this on another podcast with the amount of new players that Tyson Helton is working into his program. I think it's going to take some time. You can't just do all that in a spring and a fall, right? Get all those guys to gel. You got to figure out who's going to start, who's going to contribute, where some of those guys, take for example adam cofield right like he was part of a rotation at at, at north dakota state excuse me uh, he's coming in maybe a little bit more of a feature role right like guys have to figure out their roles and, and adjust to that but the bailey Zappi offense or excuse me that zach kitley offense operated by bailey Zappi, that clearly is in full motion from week one hitting the ground running and if there's anything that they need it's that right with bailey Zappi, the Stearns twins etc so at least they have that. That is, you know, and Josh Simon as well. I think I had two touchdowns as well. So at least they have that going for them. While the other guys are trying to still trying to fill themselves out, fill out their roles, the offense at least at the grammar running.
1: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head in that it's going to take a minute to build chemistry and I think some of these pieces are melding in rather quickly. You saw Daywood Davis have a big game, the Oregon transfer that just came into Tyson Nelton's offense. Uh, but, you know, ultimately when you have that many new guys, it's it's not all going to come together immediately. Uh, that being said, <laughs> you you mentioned it last week with the familiar troubles against FCS opponents kind of starting to reel their he- uh, rear their head rather early in that game. Uh, some people were getting nervous, myself included. So uh, hopefully the Tops can fix their issues heading into uh, a tough opponent against Army and get things going on the right track even more so. Uh, With that, let's move on to FIU versus Long Island. Panthers win that one 48-10, another uh, relatively easy win against an FCS opponent for CUSA. Uh, Eric, honestly, the first few times I looked at this box score, I honestly thought it was a mistake because Devontae Price had 165 rushing yards and three touchdowns on five carries uh, given what we saw from the panthers from the panthers last year this is about as good a start as they could have hoped for don't you think
0: you are 100 correct as far as good of a start the only real hiccup a 74 yard td pass from long island play, and play in that cornerback richard dames kind of got his feet tangled up and tripped that was the only real big play for long island and yes they had a drive their long island's opening drive they took it down the field but that ended up stalling out. I believe it was a missed field goal, if memory serves me correct. But in terms of Devontae Price, Joe, and I had to, you can accuse me of being a homer. I'm sure there are plenty of Conference USA fans who will, but I had to take the opportunity to tweet his stat line in that box score, or the, uh, the stat broadcast from the UDD main account, because I genuinely feel that if you are not familiar with the name Devontae Price now, you need to be. As you mentioned, five carries. He finished 11 yards shy of his career high rushing in five carries and yes it's an fcs opponent but here's the thing that this is the picture i, I want to paint for the fans who may only see the box score and didn't get a chance to see that game Devonte, if you see him and if you've seen him the past few years he's 6-2 and change almost 6'3, and kind of a slight guy he's like 185 190 in previous years he's put on 20 25 pounds of muscles where he's now a legit 215 220 and did not lose a bit of speed he joe his runs the breakaway runs were video game-esque. They were the things that you come to the stadium to see, right? So if Devontae can be that guy at 6'2 and change to 20, as I've said, if any team is in better position to have a quick turnaround in relation to last year, I think it's FIU and in large part because they have that guy who, Jim Nagy, that's the second tweet I've seen the, the executive director of the Senior Bowl send out about, hey, this guy's the real deal. So for Conference USA fans who are not familiar with Devontae Price, you should be now because I'm I'm sorry, UTSA fans. He's right there with Cinser McCormick. He he just is. And I know I have the benefit of seeing him on a week-in, week-out basis, but he's that good.
1: Certainly not going to be an easy season for FIU by any means, but if Price can kind of keep up that kind of production, then things might be, you know, headed back above water for the Panthers, so to speak. So we'll we'll see what he can able, uh, what he is able to do Week in, week out, rather. Uh, and then this is the big one that uh, I know we were all just so excited to see, Eric. Charlotte and Duke, 49ers win that one 31-28. Uh, just a magnificent game. And Charlotte's first win against a P5 team ever. For me, the passing game for the Niners was lovely in this one. Vic Tucker had eight catches for 133 yards. Great Dubose caught two touchdowns and gained 118 yards on just four catches. Uh, if I have to nitpick... Charlotte kind of let Duke running back, Mateo Durant do pretty much whatever he wanted on his way to 255 yards and three touchdowns, which I believe was a school record for Duke. Uh, But still a a momentous weekend for Charlotte and Will Healy. Uh, Seeing Healy in his, uh, you know, post-game press availability, you couldn't feel anything but just absolute joy for this guy.
0: Absolute joy for him. Absolute joy for the Niner fan base. Seeing anyone who's been... I listen to this podcast, can go back to 2018, 2019. I've been a believer in the Charlotte program and thinking that, forgive the pun, that they are a relative goldmine. <laughs> you know, I, I think and have thought that they're just scratching the surface of what they can be. And, of course, with the hire of Will Healy, the bowl success in 2019, they didn't get a chance to build on that momentum in 2020. So this was the type of game, the type of win that they needed Joe coming into this year. I was so intrigued, so interested to know if Will Healy could spark up that momentum, spark up that feeling around the Queen City. And hey, don't worry about North Carolina or Duke or Wake or you know, anyone else, right? NC State, Charlotte, that's the team you need to worry about in this city. That's the team you need to focus about. That's the team you need to pay uh, attention to. And a win like this does it, right? Now to take it on the field, it's funny. You know, I had a chance to watch that game on the drive home. Listen, excuse me. I would never watch and drive. <laughs> and uh, I heard the the analyst there, uh, Corey Chavis, he did a great job on the broadcast. But Corey Chavis was talking about the receiving game for for Charlotte, and he made kind of you know a, a, an inference that you know they need to get Grant Debose the ball because he had four catches for a buck eighteen and two touchdowns. And no disrespect to Corey, you know Corey. Listen, he played a decade in the NFL in safety and forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But if there's one thing you and I know. So that when it is crunch time, you ball's going to Vic Tucker. On that last drive for Charlotte, three catches, then you had two first downs. You knew in that money time, crunch time, Vic Tucker was the guy. So it, it just it was great to see Vic you know, kind of show out on a big uh, national stage and also paired with a number two. If they can have a one-two puncher receiver, I mean, look out for the Niners as that running game kind of gets going there with Calvin Camp and some of the other guys there. Um, who are kind of tilting the rock for Charlotte to get the other running back right now uh, Sh- 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 Shavon McEirickan. There we go. Him and Shadrick Bird were the other two backs. To, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that shared the load with Calvin Camp. But yeah, all in all, Joe, just kind of piggyback on on what you said. A great win for Charlotte, just something that really boosts the energy and and for anyone who may have been undecided on you know Will Healy or whether he's the right guy or the feelings on Charlotte as a program, I think that type of win gives you reason to buy in. It was a, just a great moment to see that fan base fired up. Jerry Richardson Stadium on display and and great win overall for Charlotte.
1: Here's what really impressed me about Grant DuBose specifically, Eric. We just got done talking about with Western Kentucky how tough it can be to immediately build chemistry between a receiver and quarterback. You need that, you know, spring window of time to kind of get acquainted with each other and that sort of thing. Grant DuBose came in from. Uh, I know he was at Texas A&M at one point, but he just joined the Charlotte program in the summer. So he didn't have the benefit of all of that and then still came in in the biggest moment, uh, arguably of you know the history of Charlotte football and turned in a, a fantastic day. So I, I have to give kudos to him, but to agree with what you said, Vic Tucker is still the guy in this offense and I they ultimately did what they were supposed to do in getting him the ball late in the game. Like, you could just tell the way that Vic Tucker was in the sidelines pregame. I was like, this is, this is going to be his night. That South Florida confidence is showing through right now.
0: <laughs> when Vic said, you know, hey, when Hunter Bailey, uh, the observer, our former UDD, the uh, Charlotte Observer's Hunter Bailey asked Vic, who's some of the better DBs he's facing CUSA? And Vic said, none of them. None of them good. That is the confidence right there. You mentioned Grand Du came from Small Miles College, was where he came from, uh, not not to Charlotte. So of course he get a chance to shine on on the uh, bigger stage as well. But yeah, overall,
1: gotta love it. Fantastic. He was at A and M at one point, though. I didn't mess that part up.
0: Uh, I believe he was. I have to go back and double check. I, I just remember him coming from Miles College because I when I saw him as part of the the class, I was like, where the hell is Miles College? So
1: fair enough uh with that then let's let's talk about uh a less exciting result for COSA and in Wake Forest and Old Dominion pretty much what we expected here uh the Demon Deacons win this one 42 to 10 uh Sam Hartman looked great for Wake uh for Old Dominion it's not that they were bad i mean they were but that's not the main point that I want to get across here. It's more like anytime they had any sort of pressure to execute on offense, they, they couldn't do it. I think they only converted like five third downs and against an ACC opponent, whoever it is, you have to be better than that.
0: Yeah. Really quick, Joe, just to kind of uh, tie up your point. I, I think of uh, grand DeBose, James Foster. They're very good friends. James Foster came from Texas A&M. So just to uh-huh. show you that, you know, you, you didn't just make that up out of thin air. That's what it was there <clears throat> in terms of old dominion. Yeah. The big thing. And listen, you know, in this deal, there are no moral victories or anything like that, right? Anyone who dealt Ricky Ronnie, we had the pleasure of talking to him on CUSA Media Day call, clearly not a moral victory guy. When he's someone who, uh, when was asked to make his opening statement, says, yeah, I'm not a big opening statement guy. So that kind of gives you his personality, right? He's looking to go out and win. But what more can you expect, Joe, in terms of, they had a year off, they lost, we talked about the guys they lost in terms of Caleb Ford demanding Keon White and some of the other guys who transferred out. So listen, it's one of those things where you're good to have them back on the field. The guys who have not played in a year, I mean, come on. I mean, you, can you imagine having a team full of transfers <laughs> that had to sit out a year, a team full of guys who had to, you know, miss a season because of a torn ACL or something? That's essentially what you're dealing with here. Or, or maybe not the torn ACL analogy because you can't, you're, you're rehabbing something whereas they were able to practice but you get the point right I think the biggest thing that I'm looking for and of course having the year off and then going against Wake Forest isn't a great indicator of this the quarterback situation I expected DJ Mack to look a little bit better and maybe that's my UCF bias coming in but also the fact that he's had excellent performances against the Memphis's of the world when Memphis was a top 25 team and started a fiesta bowl against LSU so I guess his two picks were a little bit disappointing Hayden Wolf came in uh, look, be, look to be the more proficient passer, but overall, just good to see the Monarchs back on the field, and we'll get a better read on them as they, you know, play games against more formidable competition, or at least maybe not more formidable, because uh, you know in this case Wake Forest is very formidable, but in this case, competition that's closer to where they're at in terms of talent.
1: Absolutely. I, with Old Dominion, like, I think they can only get better, and there's definitely talent on this team. It's it's just unfortunate that they had to start the year against a, a team in Wake Forest, who offensively has just been consistently getting better and better and better and better the last five or six years. And ultimately, I think they're, you know, obviously better now than they have been in the last few years, and that's saying something. But with that, then let's move on to a little CUSA SEC action, uh, Florida and Florida Atlantic Gators win this one 35-14 in the Swamp. Honestly, I liked what I saw from Nikosi Perry in this game as he threw for 261 yards and a touchdown. Owls honestly did a lot of good things in this game on both sides of the ball, but there is a reason that Florida is now a top-10 team after this week. But FAU took a step forward here, I think. I think Willie Taggart has this team going in the right direction.
0: Listen, I, so Joe, just kind of bring in that for full disclosure here, There's been a little bit of consternation in terms of that FAU fan base from things that I've seen online in terms of they're getting a little frustrated in the sense that when you come off the Lane Kiffin era, not just the success in terms of the win column, the fact that you were scoring points at the rate you were, right? There was a little bit of frustration that I saw from the FAU fan base in terms of some of the decision making, in terms of putting JV on Posey and giving him certain packages and things of that nature. I think you got to let Willie Taggart coach. I'm not critiquing the fan base per se. I just think it's a situation where, as someone who lives in Florida, and I, I can attest, you got the G5 team in FAU heading up to Gainesville to take on a Florida team that, while they are a very good team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They're also bringing in a new quarterback in Emory Jones and replacing guys like Kyle Pitts in the NFL and others. So I think the hopes were up that maybe there would be a little bit more of a competitive showing, and especially considering what the defense did, Joe. The defense held tough for, I and mean, that's a 14-0 game at halftime, and they forced Emory Jones into some mistakes. There was one really kind of bizarre sequence going into halftime where Emory Jones, I don't know if he forgot at a Tom Brady moment that it was fourth down but they ran a quarterback sneak from the four-yard line and FAU stopped him. And so that kind of gave the Owls some momentum and a chance to put some points on the board before halftime. They weren't able to do so, so they went to halftime 14-0. So I just think it's little things like that. But to kind of transition to your point as far as Nikosi Perry, Nikosi Perry sent out a tweet after the game, and he said that um, he was getting a lot of compliments as far as how happy he looked. And he said that, forgive me, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but he said that this is the happiest he's been. You have a very, very good... Talented quarterback in the Perry, you saw his numbers bear out. And while, yes, a lot of that was playing catch up, Joe, so if they get that guy who was able to put up, you know, 261 on a UF defense that again, one of the best in the nation, they'll be fine, <laughs> the points will come. So, I, I guess I would tell the FAU fans to trust in the process. Process, why did I put an X on process? Trust in the process. I know why I put an X on process because I was getting ready to transition to the R E L A X, relax, as I believe was Aaron Rodgers, who said. So, FAU is going to be fine. That's clearly a talented football team. They'll get Chase Lasseter back this week, who was out with uh, a COVID situation. They're going to be okay. So, they I, I will have a chance to measure them up in the upcoming.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, like, it's not uncommon for uh, a college football fan base to think that they can out the coach of their favorite team. Right. So I don't, I don't think that's a quality that's unique to FAU fans in this case, but Hey, I think like with what Perry said about being happy, like that's step one, right? If you create a culture where players are excited to show up, then the wins are going to come uh, Two, I think FAU fans are a, still a little bit spoiled from the Lane Kiffin era. Honestly, like, Lane Kiffin, for whatever reason, that was just as good of a fit as you could have imagined, uh, as far as like a coach coming into a G5 program and completely turning the culture on its head. And the results prove how successful he was. He won, you know, two conference titles there. Um, Expecting Willie Taggart to have that not out the gate, but last year was COVID, et cetera, et cetera. But I still maintain that I think he's on the right track. It's just, it's not going to be, you know, immediate. But they have a lot of the tools in place.
0: No, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you're talking to someone who I've seen Willie Taggart's success from USF and I'm a big believer in him. So FAU fans, you know, and, and listen, the, 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 excuse me, the donation that was given to them, I think they just had a $3 million donation from a a donor there in terms of naming the the head coaching role there at FAU. That program's fine. Like That program is heading in the right direction. So for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like, this is, this is the last thing I'll say about Willie Taggart you know at one point early in his career coming off of of Western Kentucky and what he was able to do at South Florida like he clearly had some some mojo going in terms of how he coached a team offensively when he left for Oregon you know I don't I'm not privy to his you know personal life or whatever but somewhere along the line just that confidence was was gone and I think this opportunity here is a really good opportunity for him to start getting that back it's it's just not going to come it's not going to come against a top 10 defense. It's just not (laughs) with that. Then let's see what happened in the Arkansas rice game. Really a valiant effort from the rice owls here as they go down 38 to 17. Maybe I should say a valiant three quarters of a game from rice, Uh, Arkansas scored 21 unanswered points in the fourth to ultimately seal this one. Wiley green ultimately had the reins of the offense, the majority of the time. And he threw three picks in the touchdown. We did see Luke McCaffrey a little bit, but he only threw the ball ten times and completed five of those passes. So all in all, still some work to do for the Owls. But the fact that they were really like in control of this game for three quarters says a lot about, you know, where Mike Bloomgren's brought this team over the last year or so.
0: Yeah, Joe, this is where we're gonna disagree a little bit. And I'm not sitting here saying that Rice is supposed to go in and defeat Arkansas, right? You know, we can I guess this is kind of my, my POV entering was this year four for Mike Bloomberg if memory serves me correctly. Yeah, I got there 2018, 2019, 2020. So year four, I think they're a little bit past the moral victories. I'm not saying that that's what you're saying that, that they should have, but we saw them go in there and defeat Marshall, right? We saw them do that last year, and take them for four quarters. This isn't exactly the Arkansas team that's led by Houston. Nutt and had run DMC with Darren McFadden, who was the Felix Jones, right? Were those the two running backs uh, when they <laughs> had a you know excellent team? It's not quite the world Peter Arkansas. Uh, Sam Pittman's looking to rebuild that program there. I guess the reason why I'm a little bit critical is this: the run game, 39 carries for 81 yards. And we know that Mike Bloomgren has the intellectual brutality slogan, right? And while they're kind of moving away from that a little bit, they're trying to open up the offense to score some points, and they're getting the quarterback situation worked out, which. Luke McCra- Luke McCaffrey and Wiley Green. At some point, you got to have a bread and butter and an identity, right, Joe? I'll put it to you like this. UAB has consistently been able to run the football and play defense. And I'm not saying that Rice should be UAB out the gate. But it's taken this team how many years to have a real offensive identity? And even the run game, while it's great to do it, it's great to say we're going to pound it 40 times. They're not exactly putting up 200-yard efforts either. So, I, I, listen, I'm not here advocating for the firing of Mike Bloomgren. I guess I'm just a little bit disappointed in that this game, as you mentioned, looked like one, that they were in control for three quarters, and that it would be their that type of – essentially, it would be the type of game that it, it, it's in Rice's favor, right? The type of football they're looking to play. They should be able to close that thing out. And yes, Wiley Green threw the three interceptions, and that's not helping things when you play that style of football. I guess I'm just a little disappointed that they couldn't bring it home, given the fact that we saw what we saw from them to close 2020, which was be able to play that ball game for four quarters against a Marshall team that, quite frankly, I think is better than Arkansas, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think that fourth quarter for them just was so (laughs) – like, you watch the other three quarters of that game and just they were doing a lot of things right, but ultimately my biggest issue with Rice's offense has been this. It seems like Bloomgren is really trying to, like, run the same exact kind of offense he ran at Stanford without Stanford-level talent, right? And, like, there's only so much you can do in that system if you don't have, you know – Christian McCaffrey type guys, right? Like, you know, Luke McCaffrey is not his brother, unfortunately. So, uh, I mean, ultimately, maybe it'll come together. I think it will eventually, but I don't know. Look, if David Bailiff was still at the helm going into this Arkansas game, I would have said, like, you know, Arkansas by 30 or 40 or whatever. But right now, like, yeah, Bloomgren is is definitely, it seems like it's like two steps toward one step back with that program. They kind of get things going in the right direction, which was what we saw in the first three quarters of this game. And then they just, you know, completely die in the fourth quarter. So they just need to get those things tweaked a little bit and get back to like that competitive brand of rice football that this fan base so badly wants it to be.
0: And that's a, a great Way to kind of, you know, put a synopsis of what I'm saying in terms of it does feel like there's two steps forward, one step back. Right. So, but you make a great point when you talk about the end of the David Bailiff era when they went, I believe, four and 20 in the last two years there. Yeah, this one probably would have been Arkansas by 60. So in that sense, you know, baby steps. But I, I, I can understand the the Rice fan base they're saying, hey, you know, we wish that fourth quarter hadn't gotten away from us because the game was right there for the taking.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so with that, let's talk about that big win from Marshall over Navy. The Thundering Herd take that one 49 to seven. The Herd did not concede any points until the fourth quarter in this one. What really impressed me about Marshall here was just how aggressive that defense was. Uh, Huff talked about it a little bit when, uh, ESPN pulled him aside. Not ESPN, I apologize. ESPN, uh, CBS Sports pulled them aside. Uh, they looked a little undisciplined at times, but they also put up nine sacks and 13 tackles for loss. Opposing offensive lines are really going to have trouble with them this season. Uh, we saw Grant Wells have a little bit of trouble uh, through two interceptions, but ultimately did complete 20 of 30, um, put them in great position to score, and the running game took care of the rest.
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, Grant Wells did have a Liver little there as far as the two interceptions. Definitely not the bounce back performance you're looking for with coming off the way last season ended, but it's only one game. We're not going to judge them just yet. The things that I were keep, was keeping an eye on, excuse me, the things that I was keeping an eye on, that I were keeping an eye on during that ball game. A, the fact that they were able to get nine sacks against a team that's not looking to throw the ball that much. Of course, they had to being down as they were. Impressive, especially when considering the fact they're losing guys like Darius Hodge, who... You know, one of the premier pass rushers in Conference USA last year. So I think they're able to do that. And look at Eli Neal with three sacks. It's like He's stepping right in there as far as the linebacking you know, history there at Marshall goes. And then the running game, right? You want to see how they're going to be able to replace Brendan Knox. And you know, when we had Coach Huff on, he's mentioned that it's going to be a combination of guys. Wasn't looking to, as far as tipping his hand, Jesse yet, as far as would be the running back there. And you get Rashad Ali, who had four scores, then Sheldon Evans, who had two scores. While not necessarily a great output, 30 carries for 101 yards, at least you see some level of, okay, they have a system in place that they're going to, you know, kind of work with as far as replacing the tremendous output that Brendan Knox would, uh, would have there. And then the receivers, you know, Corey to Lee Keaton, they put up their yards. Xavier Gaines is one of the most special weapons of all of CUSA. So clearly to come out and beat a Navy team just the way they did, you know, you would think if they beat him 21, 10 or 21, 14, it's like, okay, nice little win for Marshall. Let's not, not get too excited, but to beat him down the way they did, especially led by a defensive performance. I think this was a real statement game and an identity game for coach Huff, as far as what he's looking to do there. in
1: For sure. And uh, you mentioned Eli Neal. I'll give you another name. Abraham Boplan, a uh, number seven on that defense, um, the 223 pounds junior out of Boynton beach, uh, really just did everything he was supposed to do in this game. He played about as perfect of, of a game as you could imagine. Uh, I was talking to um, our our friend from the hustle belt, uh, A.B. King James on Twitter the other day. Um, and he was – the point of the conversation was, are tackles like a good representation of like defensive performance? And I made the point that it all depends on the position. If you're a safety and you're the leading tackler, your defense probably has some issues. However, if a guy like Abraham Bowplan is your leading tackler, which he was in this game with 13, then that is an indicator that he is exactly where he needs to be more often than not. So Marshall's defense is absolutely taking a step in the right direction. And I think this game was a very good example of that.
0: You and I are very much believers in that, stat, Joe. If you're getting a bunch of tackles at the second, third level, it's nice to have your safety make plays, right? But you want your safety to come and make some plays in the box and behind the line of scrimmage. So Clearly, the fact that they were making tackles at the second level and at the first level and really stopping that Navy rushing attack—tremendous job by the herd.
1: Absolutely, and then uh, we'll move on to the uh, <laughs> just just a bummer of a result that Mississippi State and Louisiana Tech was. Another valiant effort from CUSA as the Bulldogs lose thirty-four to thirty-five. Couldn't quite hit that last-second field goal to win. Uh, but I'll tell you this, Eric—I was really impressed with Austin Kendall in this game. He gave what I would call. a a gritty performance ran for 68 yards threw for 269 three total touchdowns um just by the end of this game you saw that that white uniform just covered in in mud and you know paint from mississippi state helmets and whatever else he he really put himself out there you can you know debate whether or not that's like the healthiest course of action but he wanted to win and you know I'll, i'll respect him for that um and the last thing I'll say about this, you know, Skip Holt's team has some heart, but they really had something of a, a defensive collapse there in the fourth, similar to what we saw in the Rice-Arkansas game.
0: Yeah, Joe, I mean, one of the things that I kind of noticed, Tyler Grubbs was kept relatively quiet. I mean, he had six six tackles, a sack and a tackle for loss, but he's a guy who's very capable of you know, double-digit tackles and a couple tackles for loss. B.J. Williamson had a nice game, you know, the six tackles, and he had a tackle for loss as well. But you just would hope with the talent they have with, Williamson, Tyler Grubbs, Trey Baldwin, Ezekiel Barnett, etc. that they would have found a way to close. And unfortunately they just weren't able to giving up the 21 points in the fourth quarter. And listen, it's, it's a Mike Leach offense. You know that they're capable of putting up points in bunches, right? But it's just one of those things where, as we talked about in the game with rights, just not able to close and do it for four quarters to kind of piggyback on what you said with Austin Kendall. I think the thing that I was most interested by, and I want to run uh, this by different get your thoughts on this you're talking about a guy who he started some games at West Virginia and had some, uh you know, a little bit of playing time, but he's really looking at, and is on his presumably his last shot to live up to that four or five-star potential, um, you know, four, fringe, five-star, little four-star potential coming out of high school. And he clearly wants it. Right. As you mentioned, he's kind of coming at, at La Tech. And I think this performance is one that you never want to see a guy lose his job due to injury. You can go back to Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady for an example of that. But, it just seems that Austin Kendall, if he can really kind of, you know, get a stranglehold in this job, it may be tough for, you know, Luke Anthony to come back and it sucks for him because he's had a really nice year last year. and looked to, for all intents and purposes, would have been the guy this year had he not been recovering from the injury, but kind of want to get your thoughts on that. If You think what you've seen from Austin Kendall, A, if it's enough to say, hey, you know, this is the guy we need to stick with going forward and B, if there's a way you can pull him.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I, Austin Kendall, I, I mentioned how good he was. I think if he is able to stay healthy, I think he's the guy you got to stick with right now. Um, and granted, like based on what I understand, I don't even know that Luke Anthony is healthy enough to even like be ready to go. If Austin Kendall did get hurt, I believe second on their depth chart right now is redshirt sophomore Aaron Allen. Um, so that would definitely not put Louisiana tech in a good position. But, you know, you have to kind of respect, um, as I said earlier, what Austin Kendall was putting out there. This is a guy that prior to joining Skip Holtz's team was, you know, doing medical equipment sales over the phone. And then he found out that he had the opportunity to come back and give it one last shot. So, you know, it's it's the Eminem song. You know, you only get one shot, do not miss your chance to blow. He He's putting his entire body out there and ultimately we'll see if, he can you know hold up but i understand why he's playing the way he's playing and we'll see if he can you know maintain it throughout the course of the season but ultimately he might have to adopt a a different playing style stay in the pocket find those uh all those really good receivers that louisiana tech have smoke harris immediately comes to mind who played fairly well on uh on saturday uh and then ultimately, that also comes down to Louisiana Tech's offensive line. Can they you know, put Kendall in situations where he doesn't have to run the ball as much as he did on Saturday? So we'll see.
0: Hey, Joe, really quick, I, I don't want to let the point you made kind of go unnoticed here. You talk about Austin Kendall. Played his five years of football, as I mentioned, started some games at West Virginia. But you mentioned that he had a medical sales job. And I, the great piece in The Athletic talks about how he relinquished his company car, his gas card, his laptop, and sales territory to pursue a sixth year of college football. The reason I emphasize that, Joe, is <laughs> I think it gets lost just the dedication and what football means to some of these guys. Because if you present all of those things that I just mentioned to any 21, 22, 23-year-old coming out of college, they're not giving that up. As a matter of fact, that's better than what a lot of 2021, 20, 22, 23 year olds are getting out of college, you know. So let's not just breeze past what Austin Kendall gave up and hopefully that'll be there waiting for him should you know professional football not be in his future. But just to give that up, I don't want to let that just go understated because that's kind of like the goal for a lot of people in their early 20s coming out of college, you know.
1: Highly recommend, if anybody hasn't seen it, it's been out there for a while, the HBO documentary, Student Athlete. And that goes into what a lot of these guys who ultimately you know aren't good enough for the next level or get hurt or whatever have to face in order to like really make it in the professional world. And a lot of them, as this documentary points out, get nowhere close to as good of a, a professional setup as Austin Kendall had in his sales job. So the fact that he was willing to give that up to come back for a 6 year of college football and just give it one last ride and see what happens is, is nothing short of admirable. So we'll see how well it pans out for Louisiana tech over the course of this season, but it has my attention. I'll say that.
0: Un- undoubtedly Joe, as you, you know, it's a great point to mention that documentary because it's the things that plenty of people are working for. So glad you were able to get that in there as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, and I don't want to go on a rant, but there's, you know, the guys in that documentary, you know, end up like picking up trash and like, you know, having to drive like multiple states in a day to coach at camps in order to make ends meet and live in their cars. Like, it's not pretty. Some of these guys, what some of these guys end up having to go through. And, you know, it's it's great that Austin Kendall at least has, clearly has the professional uh, aptitude to have a career like that waiting for him once his football days are done. And with that, then, let's talk about Middle Tennessee and Monmouth. Uh, Blue Raiders win this one 50-15. Uh, Bailey Hockman played very well in this one. He finished the game 17-22 to for 215 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, this is really what MTSU needed to do against this type of opponent. A lot of questions around... Uh, Rick Stocksdale right now and what you know whether or not he's still able to lead that team at the caliber that he was a few years ago but this is a really good start for them
0: yeah listen I I might be in you know in the minority here okay so Rick Stocksdale, I believe is now three games over 500 with this win right and plenty of people can judge his body of work and say "Uh, should he be the guy should they have made a move I I, listen i I think at Middle Tennessee, and maybe, Joe, this can be a broader discussion as far as our views on what Middle Tennessee State is as a job overall. I just think that Rick Stockstill has gotten a fair amount, right? Now, whether you want to consider that mediocrity or not, to me, that's more of an indictment on, sorry, I don't want to sound like a crap guy Murfreesboro, Tennessee, but I think it's more of an indictment on being located in Murfreesboro, Tennessee and in the shadow of SEC country and all those things, than it is necessarily Middle Tennessee. So I had to get that off my chest. In relation to this game, the only thing that I think surprised me a little bit was the lack of efficiency running the football. And the only reason I say that is because when I asked Rick Stocksville Conference USA Media Days about his lack of productivity from the running backs, something that I'm sure fans of this podcast have heard me mention multiple times, he talked about how he really wanted to get. The running backs going, get that production back up. And yes, it's only one game, but against a Monmouth and FCS opponent, we got Frank Pizet with five carries for 27 yards, Brian Anderson, three for 25, Shatan Mobley, four for 24, Amir Rasul, seven for 18, Martel Petway, three for six. Joe, that doesn't look any different than the rushing numbers you were getting during the Asher O'Hara era, where it was just the quarterback getting the majority of the carries and then, you know, kind of a hodgepodge of backs, right? So only one game. I will wait to see what comes of it. And as you mentioned, Bailey Hockman looked very good. So at least they have the passing game going for them because they have a sneaky deep wide receiving core, but you'd like to see the running backs get off a little bit. If just for sheer, you know, morale in that running back room, because they haven't been really utilized as much as maybe they would have liked, especially guys like Petway coming from West Virginia, where he ran for 700 yards a couple of years ago. And then Amir Rasul is a former five-star prospect who began his career at Florida state. So, just something to keep an eye on, but all in all, a very good win for uh, Blue Raiders because they need to get those wins going and, and get them you know, stacked up so they can get back in
1: bowl bowl contention. Let me ask you this as a follow-up, Eric. When it comes to that running back room, do you think the running back by committee situation is the way to go, or should Petway be the guy? Should uh, like Shaitan Mobley be the guy? Should they be centralizing their rushing attack around one guy?
0: It's a tough question, right, because for CUSA fans, You'll know, when you mention the name Brad Anderson, right, you know the type of guy he is. He's 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, He's a guy you're going to kind of get in there in jet sweeps and you know maybe get him a couple tosses, right? And you want to make the most of that. He's a guy who's a dynamic and a playmaker. But they had a guy like that over the past few years in Jay McDonald, a guy who has legit 4'4 track speed, but not the biggest back in the world. It just didn't work out. Shaitan Mobley. He's the last guy to run for 600 yards for this program. I believe that was the 2018 year when he did that. I know 2019 and 2020 numbers were a little bit off. I think, and I'm not taking a cop out. It's nice to have the depth, but you want to go in there and establish two backs at most, in my opinion, who are going to be your bell cows, right? And I think you brought in the talent in Petway and Rasul to be those guys because, and Joe, this is not a slide on Shaitan Mobley. We're CSA guys. We know who he is we know what he can do but if you felt that you had a steady running back in chaton mobley then why are you going to transfer portal to bring into those guys right so i think you got to feature the two guys you brought in petway is the one who's had the most success on quote unquote the highest level the highest stage and let them get going so we'll see but to answer your question yeah i would like to see them kind of dial back the i guess the number of cars again let's look at those the, those numbers again you got You know, Frank and Frank Pizan, I didn't even mention him. He's a guy in that, in that, you know, running back room as well. So just five carries, three carries, four carries, seven carries, three carries. The game worked out well to where, you know, none of those guys were going to top 10, 11 carries anyhow, but splitting the carries four or five ways. I don't think that's productive for any of the backs.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would agree. And like the last thing that I will put, you know, out into the world as we talk about MTSU, uh, Asher O'Hara finished his game for Sacramento State this weekend, 13 of 21 for 119 yards and two touchdowns through the air, and uh, 65 yards on the ground. So, like, if you are, you know, going to have the the culture that you have, that ultimately, you know, presumably played a part in why one of the better dual threat quarterbacks USA has seen in some time didn't want to be part of your program anymore, then you better have a balanced offensive attack that's going to. Uh, you know, strike fear into the hearts of your opponents. And that's ultimately not what they're doing here. While Bailey Hawkman, as you said, had a pretty solid day through the year.
0: Yeah, Joe. And the thing is this, right? It's almost kind of a dozen here or six and six in terms of the offense was going to shift because Rick Stock still wanted the offense to shift. Right. And with Tony Franklin, no longer being part of that program, it it, it probably made the most sense for Ash or Howard to depart. But as you mentioned, when you decide to go down that route and you look at some of the things that, and it's only one game. We don't want to come out and have a molehill. There will be opportunities at the end of this year to truly evaluate whether or not that shift in the short term was right. But I can just say from speaking with Rick Stocksville Media Days, he was very emphatic about the need for that shift. So we'll see how it plays out.
1: We'll see what uh, that shift has in store for them when they play Virginia Tech next week, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. Uh, With that, then let's move on to the result of North Texas and Northwestern State. This was a 44-14 win for the Mean Green. Uh, Defense did what they were supposed to do against this level of opponent. They'll have to be better against SMU next week. Uh, But, Eric, DeAndre Torre, the hype around him uh, looks to be very, very much deserved. 244 yards on the ground and three touchdowns in this one. So uh, they know they have that weapon going into next week's rivalry game.
0: Listen, if there's one thing you had to keep an eye on, when you lose Oscar Attaway III to the ACL injury, when you lose Trey Siggers to SMU, they had a real three-headed monster last year, Joe, in terms of running back room, and that was just DeAndre Torrey. And we know, you and I, as guys who follow this conference, know the type of year he had in 2019 when he had 15 touchdowns at just under 1,000 yards. It always felt like he was capable of this kind of production, right? And then of course he had the follow-up year, excuse me, I think it was 2018 when he had that production. He had kind of a, a down year in 2019, and then 2020, you know, he kind of shared the room with two other backs. You just wanted to see if he's gonna be able to bounce back and really build upon that almost thousand-yard year. This is the type of game that does it. So if DeAndre Torre can carry the load, they don't have to be a three running back room. It's nice to have those guys, but if if they can, if he can carry the load and help jace reuter or austin ani as they come along at the quarterback position that is huge and we saw uh, uh, that jace reuter got the majority of the of the um of the playing time they were going 10 to 21 for a buck 31 one touchdown two interceptions so i keep an eye on that but if they can give it to deandre torrey or as his twitter handle is torrey boy which is one of the better twitter handles in all of USA, they are gonna be in great shape and then my other takeaway only 14 points allowed and yes it is northwestern state so you probably say only 14 why didn't they shut him out If you know the defensive struggles that North Texas had over the past three years, 14 is a lot less than 40, which is what we're averaging last year uh, allowing. So overall, really a good win for the Mean green.
1: Right. Like you said it, like when you are only allowing 14 points compared to some of the results we've seen the last couple of years, this isn't just a moral victory; it's a it's a complete victory. But it's going to be a big upgrade in competition next week and in the following weeks. So, we'll see what they're able to do in that regard. Uh, and then uh, another marquee win for USA this past week: Illinois against UTSA, thirty-seven to thirty, was the victory margin for the Roadrunners. Here, uh, I think the only people who were surprised here were Illinois fans. Like you saw on Twitter, like the talk surrounding this game going into the week, like is UTSA actually good? And everyone's like, yes, yes. UTSA is actually quite good. (laughs) Um, And like, and very much better than Scott Frost, Nebraska at this point. Um, You know, we, we know Illinois did lose one of their better players uh, in the aftermath of that opening week game. But uh, you go back and look at what all of the, you know, big uh, marquee names for UTSA were able to do in this game. Frank Harris is 20 of 32 for 280 yards through the air and a touchdown. Sincere McCormick, 31 carries and 117 yards on the ground. Uh, and then Zakari Franklin pulled in 10 balls for a touchdown and 155 yards. Uh, Jeff Trailer has this offense uh, playing very, very well right now. Uh, defense maybe have some tweaks here and there as they head into conference play and they head back to the Alamo Dome this week. But – uh, you know, UTSA for the amount that they've invested into that program. And, you know, not a bad day if you can go to a Big Ten opponent, get a win, and come home with the $1.1 million check.
0: And uh, the words are now I'm forgetting the name of the head coach, but the, uh, oh man, now uh, I wish I'd remember that name. But anyhow, when he said, Give me my money, as he said after, after they uh, pulled off the money victory, that's what Jeff Trailer was shouting out after the victory. And here's the thing, Joe. They led that game from start to finish, right? I mean, that is the type of impressive performance that you're looking for out of UTSA. Here's the thing that was so impressive. You know, I'm going to want your thoughts on this. Frank Harris, we've wanted for a long time for two things. One, for him to be healthy. And B, to show that he can make that development as a passer. And the fact that he threw for 280 and completed over 60% of his passes going 20 or 32, you know, that to me was just the impressive thing because this wasn't the Frank Harris going 20 of 32 for two eighty against incarnate word, right? That, that was what he did. Uh, I believe it was two years ago before he had a, a ACL injury. This was against a big 10 opponent on the road, leading from that, that being in control of that game from start to finish. It just was very impressive for me because, and this is what I want to get your opinion on Joe. Mm-hmm. They can win with sincere McCormick. They've shown that they did that last year. They can win with sincere McCormick and defense. They showed that last year. They can win with sincere McCormick defense and great special teams play. They did that last year, Frank Harris. And it's not to say Frank Harris had a bad year last year. He had a more than adequate year, but if he can be a reason they win games, it's to me, it's going to be a UAB, UTSA West. That's just my opinion.
1: Yeah. There's definitely reason to think that, and it all, you know, is going to kind of build towards that UTSA UAB matchup later in the year. But, you know, I'll tell you this, uh, the whole time I was watching UTSA play Illinois and that UTSA offense was on the field, I was just staring at Frank Harris's knees. Like if those hold up, like the sky is, is relatively the limit for this UTSA team. Like that's how many fantastic weapons they have at their disposal. And like you said, they already have so many other weapons. If something were to happen to Frank Harris, uh, you know, knock on wood, then they're still in contention, but ultimately when everybody is healthy on this UTSA team, then compared to like G five competition, they're really, really good. So like you said, like this Frank Harris led offense is really, really scary. And ultimately if he can stay healthy, then they're going to be, I hope they get more like national TV games, frankly based on what we've saw from them in this Illinois game. And which, by the way, you were thinking of uh, North Carolina A&T coach Sam Washington with the uh, bring me my money quote.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I need to clean that up for me, but all the points you made there are very excellent points. If Frank Harris can stay healthy and be the reason they win games, look out.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and then we have South Alabama and Southern miss the Jaguars win this one 31 to seven over Southern miss. Uh, Jake Bentley, uh, had a, a pretty solid game coming back from this one, the, uh, former South Carolina and, uh, help me out here, South Carolina. And where was Jake Bentley's other stop? former South Carolina and Utah quarterback played at Utah during the, uh, the COVID year last year, he looked really solid in this game. So hats off to him, 17 to 22 for 269 yards and two touchdowns. Really the highlight of the game for Southern Miss in This one was Frank Gore jr. 19 carries for 81 yards. But ultimately if that's your highlight, that kind of shows how much work is really needed. Uh, The South Alabama team granted they won last year, but it was a much closer margin. And I'm really hoping Southern Miss didn't take a step back. It's just one game, but they really can't afford to lose any more momentum than they did with what went on last year.
0: As you mentioned, the fact that they lost the way they did, this was, and I mentioned it on last week's podcast that going to, you know, Hancock Whitney stadium was not going to be easy considering South Alabama had the confidence and momentum of winning the last year's game. Right. So, and listen, that team, they're no slouch, right? They're a team, the program that's trying to build up some good equity of their own because they've had their struggles in the previous era. So the fact that they're out there and can beat a, I don't want to call Southern Miss and USA a rivalry, but in terms of regionally speaking, none of those teams want to lose to each other, right? You know, I'm sure they all think that they're better than the other in terms of their fan base and whatnot. And I did see the Southern Miss fan base a little bit disappointed. want to give a shout out to Sippy Sports Show. He's one of the uh, better Southern Miss follows out there, but... We had a shot at him in the in the stands, looking rather disappointed, following the Southern Miss game. So, yeah, all in all, I think that was one of the lowlights for Conference USA in this weekend. Uh, the weekend that had plenty of highlights, but Southern Miss. It's only one game. It's the first game of the Will Hall era. I, I still think they'll look better than they did last year. And, and as I mentioned on previous podcasts, three of their losses were by less than a score. So, you know, despite all the turmoil, they still fought hard. I think they'll bounce back from this, but that was not a good start.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair to say, like, we've talked a lot about some of the offensive pieces that Southern Miss has that get us, you know, excited when you look at their schedule. But, you know, ultimately, when you play these kind of regional opponents, like you said, when you're competing for a lot of the same recruits, a lot of the same, you know, money, if we're being real in terms of fan support and all that, like, you got to have a better showing than 31 to seven, you just have to.
0: I completely agree. Completely agree. It's a great point you make as far as just building up the, the, or not building up, but really trying to convince the fan base that this is something that they need to be invested in. That's a good point.
1: And with that, let's wrap up the recap of last week with UTEP and Bethune Cookman. The Miners start the season 2-0 and finish this game 38-28. Uh, Ronald Watts, 19 carries and 126 yards on the ground and a touchdown uh for the minors in this game uh you know we talked about like i, I think it was you eric that mentioned like bethine cookman was going to put up a good fight and they did only a 10 point win uh in the sun bowl but you know ultimately like any win is a good win for for utep at this point with where they are in the program and you know i think this is like the second time they've started two and oh in like the last six years
0: joe when well, you have a combined i believe it's five wins over the previous four seasons starting out 2-0 and oh is never going to be a bad thing. Yes, both victories, one over New Mexico State and that program they've had struggles over the past dozen years. And this victory over FCS Platoon-Cookman, which as I said, right up the road, about two hours from me in Daytona beach, mm-hmm. it's a very proud and very uh, successful HBCU and FCS program. But all in all, I guess the only thing that I'm curious of is the status of Deion Hankins. We know that I believe it was a shoulder injury. I'll have to go back and check it afterwards. You know that he mm-hmm. didn't suit up. So Ronald Awad, more than capable of carrying the load. And as I mentioned, between him and Quadres Wadley, and now Willie Eldridge, 14 carries for Buck 18. It goes to show that they have some nice depth there at running back. And The reason I want to emphasize that, Joe, before getting to Gavin Hardison, when you're rebuilding a program, one of the things that all of these teams can talk about, whether it's, and I honestly want to put FIU in this category because I think they're an anomaly, but whether it's a UTEP, or a Rice, or an ODU, it's not that you don't have 22 guys out there, or you know, 25, you include your special teamers, who can play. It's a matter of having 35, 40, 45 guys who can play, right? The depth. So the fact that they have three running backs who are seemingly, and, and really four, if you include uh, um, Deion Hankins as well, it's just building up that depth at positions, and especially key positions, skill positions, guys who are going to make an impact and score points those things will help you. I mean, they've always been, relatively speaking, solid in the trenches. When you look at Bobby DeHero, who's been one of the top linemen in CUSA for the past three years. It hasn't been that that's hurt them. It's just been the guys who can go out there and make plays elsewhere. So good to see that. Good to see Gavin Hardison not throwing interceptions, three touchdowns. So something to build on. Yes, we would like to see the defense not allow 28 points to an FCS team. But as I mentioned, that's a proud and very successful FCS program. So you knew that they were going to go in there and not just roll over and, you know, not have any experience or be down on themselves if they got down 14, nothing. So uh, all in all, I I will say it. And I know I say it a lot, but good win for you.
1: For sure. That's a really good point about depth. Like when you look at where this program came from in terms of, you know, record and all that, the fact that, like you said, they have so many running backs in that stable is extremely interesting. And one thing I want to point out from this game, like, we've talked a lot about how Jacob cowing is like the main weapon in this passing attack. He only caught two passes in this game for what was it? 23 yards. And granted one of those was a touchdown, but given that they clearly have enough weapons to shift away from cowing when, you know, based on uh, what I saw from this game, you know, Beth and had him relatively covered for most of it. So the fact that they have other options now is, is extremely encouraging. If you're a UTEP supporter.
0: No, no doubt about it. And listen, just if you're a UTEP supporter, the fact that you're 2-0, and Joe, if you look at the team's schedule, and I don't have a pull-up in front of me, I just was looking at it and doing off-season previews, the fact that they're 2-0, and and that gives them four wins away from bowl contention. Here, we got the schedule right here. So they're going to play at Boise, right? That one you're probably going to give to Boise. New Mexico, you got to think that's a toss-up game, right? Then they play Old Dominion, which, as we mentioned, returning to football after a year off. Southern Miss. I didn't have them winning that game, but that one could be a toss-up when you look at the way Southern Miss came out. I'll give Louisiana Tech and FAU and UTSA and North Texas. Give those games to those opponents. So I think they'll lose those four. But then you look at they have Rice and then UAB, right? So UAB, you're probably kind of lost right there. But between Rice, Southern Miss, ODU, New Mexico, that could be your four that you get to get the six, and that means you're bowling.
1: It's very, very possible, as you said. And, uh, you know, credit to, to Dana Dimmel and the way he's coached this team the last couple of games and being able to turn that around. All right, so that finishes up the recap for this and You know, Eric, we, we talked about it a little bit off air, but, like, this opening weekend, it was a full slate. We have pretty close to a full slate this next weekend. Things are just more fun when there's this amount of, of G5 football uh, on in one weekend, even if we have to pack it into like Wednesday and and Monday nights. Joe,
0: I am, and this has been a long held belief of mine. Uh I understand that that game might not be the most nationally appealing, right? But when people are hungry for football, and I think people are especially hungry for football in, in terms of the way that they experience it, specifically college football the camaraderie, the pageantry, the tailgating, the full stands, the bands, all those things that I I will admit, I was never, I don't want to say I wasn't big on them, Joe. They just weren't a draw for me as much as I just like college football. I, you know, I, I, I think if you go to a school that's a traditional blue blood, maybe you get more attached to the band and all those things. I I went to UCF, right? I graduated 2015. We had good success, but it wasn't like we're a traditional powerhouse like Michigan or et cetera. Um, But those were things that, Fans missed last year, and I think with the return of football in that capacity and, and with all those things back, I would love to see more G five games. Just middle of the week, we've seen the success that the midweek Mac game, the matchin, right? We've seen the success of that. I would love to just see whether it's a CBS Sports or you know ESPN two. We could go down the list, right? FS one, just take a flyer on CUSA. You know, and I'm being specific here when I say CUSA because and and joe we can get this discussion another time quite frankly the rest of the g5 leagues they have better tv deals right so i mean there's no other way to say it i would love to see we saw nfl network do the 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 one year with cusa and i thought it was great exposure right you know maybe give whoever were to take a flyer on cusa a little bit of flexibility as far as flexing out games later on in the year that might not be as appealing i know you want to showcase every team and that would be quote unquote fair but i just want to see this league get more exposure because as you mentioned i mean look at the duke duke charlotte that was great exposure for the league really fun a, a fan base that really you know needed that opportunity to showcase what they can be jerry richardson stadium i think is one of the most top 15 or 20 venues as far as g5 football as far as being a hidden gem you know so i'd love to see whether it's cbs sports or and of course you know there's the deal with cbs sports now but just i'd love to see a bit more of a, of a bigger platform, take a chance on CUSA and just put them midweek and say, let's take a shot on these guys. You know, it's, it's one
1: year, it's one year. What's wrong with taking the shot? Here's why I think that something like that would absolutely work with the widespread legalization of sports gambling that we're seeing in the U S right now, the way that a lot of uh, recreational sports betters, you know, do it now is, you know, you get off of work at whatever time, you sit down the couch, you open your uh, DraftKings or uh fan duel, out here, it's, uh, like, Scoreboard. There's there's a ton of different apps, depending on where you are in the country. But you just look at what's going on. Like, all right, I'll throw, you know, a $5 bet on this game. I'll throw a, a $10 bet over here. And, you know, most, you know, responsible gamblers have a, a little cutoff. But when it comes to, you know, A, just the entertainment value, you can't really beat college football. So I have to think that in the U.S., there's plenty of people who would prefer to bet on, you know, a weeknight college football game or, or watch a college football game than, you know, to – you know, terrible MLB teams on ESPN plus or whatever. And then you factor in the fact that just some of these lines for these G5 games are so odd recently, right? Like Cyrus was talking about it on Twitter as well. Like some of these lines are like, Oh, you know, what was it? Like UTEP was like plus eight against New Mexico state or something like that. Like that was, that was a pretty easy win. Like the fact that like people are still kind of figuring it out, like, figuring out how to, you know, set, you know, money lines and stuff for G5 football because they just don't get that exposure when you compare it to like G5 games. Like I really think there's a big opportunity here for CUSA and the G5 at large to, you know, jump on this and grow their popularity with those weeknight games because of things like sports gambling.
0: Joe, you mentioned sports gambling. I will throw another thing out. I don't know if this happens to you, but the amount of college football fantasy sites that I get hit up on a routine weekly basis who are trying to figure out yeah is guy x playing is guy y playing And I had to say you know I can give you the information to the best of my knowledge but I don't certainly don't have an injury report it's one thing that college football doesn't provide you know I wish I had one if you get one let me know but college football fantasy football as that explodes the amount of people who who did not know who Devontae Price was are now like Trying to add him in their leagues is phenomenal. Not a lot of guys who didn't know who Grant DeBose was who were trying to add them in their leagues is phenomenal. So I do think there is a market, and would again would love to see a premier platform. And, and again, not to say that Conference USA doesn't have nice platforms, right? I don't want to you know, downplay that, but would love to see you know an ESPN two or something like that. Just take a flyer on Conference USA and say we're going to give you a Tuesday night slot or a Thursday night slot or whatever it may be for a year and. Let's see what results, because I I think, as you you and I both laid out, there is room for growth.
1: Absolutely, and I'm surprised that fantasy college football is not more popular already. Like, you look at fantasy football when it comes to the NFL, and if you are in a league that's bigger than, like, 10 or 12 teams, then you are getting deeper than a lot of the average football fan, like – you're getting into names that like a lot of like casual football fans like don't even like really recognize anymore like there was a <laughs> there was a joke on tiktok about it the other day where it was like this guy playing in a 32 team fantasy league and like his like third round pick was frank gore senior you know what i mean like with uh with college football fantasy you have like so many more players to pick from like it, it i feel like those leagues can be so much more competitive just to someone who really enjoys fantasy sports like i do
0: could not agree more with you in that
1: case awesome uh i think with that then we should probably get into some previews because we're getting close to an hour and we haven't even touched that already (laughs) um so with that then let's talk about uh the games coming up in cusa this week first off we have utep and boise state on Friday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Uh, You can catch that one in uh, Albertson Stadium, Boise, Idaho, the Blue Turf. Uh, Despite the Broncos being 0-1 to start the year, I think they are a fairly easy pick here. They're favored by 26. The Miners have one of their best teams in years, but beating down New Mexico State, followed by a 10-point win against an FCS team, I'd be shocked if that was enough to take down Boise State on the Blue Turf like we just got done talking about
0: yeah listen i think what at best what this game has the opportunity to be for utep is a measuring stick to see how well they've improved as a program in the dana dimmel era right in terms of building death and what you know offensive playmakers and things like that i think it's going to be key to watch if dion hankins is back for this game because any shot they have of really being wholly competitive slash pulling the upset I think they're going to need all hands on deck. So Boise is going to win this one. But I think if you are a CUSA slash UTEP fan, you want to see how this team can compete against a blue blood
1: G five in Boise state for sure. And then with that, we have army hosting uh Western Kentucky on Saturday at 1130 Eastern in the morning on CBS sports network. God, that is eight 30 Pacific time. I'm going to have to get up so early for that. I'm not looking forward to it, um, but uh, you can catch that one on CBS sports network. And Look, Army favored by seven points heading into this one. Here's what's concerning about this Army team from the standpoint of a Western Kentucky fan. Their run game is as solid as it usually is. They ran for 258 yards on 67 attempts against Georgia State last week. Uh, WKU's run defense, as I talked about, against UT Martin looked iffy, uh, given that they clean up some of those early game mistakes we saw last week. But if Army is able to control the clock and keep Bailey Zappi and the offense off of the field, then that... Create some problems for the Tops. I think I'm still picking Western Kentucky, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little nervous. I am also
0: picking Western Kentucky. And as you mentioned, Joe, 1130 a.m. start time. I don't want to hear you crying about 830 a.m. We see that all the time in college, you know, get up early and, and get up out there for tailgate, all right? So I don't want to hear you moaning, complaining about 1130 start time, 830 your time. You'll you'll make it. You'll be fine. They, they have coffee, and I know you are a large consumer of the cold brew so i know you will be fine but with that being said i am with you i'm give me the tops and it's because i i firmly believe that western kentucky their formula for victory a is going to be the passing game but b if you're going to beat army you're going to have to and i want to make sure i say this correctly outscore them meaning that's not to say that army's going to put up 45 points right that's just not the style of offense they play however if it's easier for Western to go get seven points and six plays and 80 yards or seven plays and 75 yards and Army's out there you know, fighting for you know seven points and it's going to take them 12 plays, 13 plays, just that quick strike offense is one where if you can get up 10-0, 14-0 and you get that score and change lead on them, it's going to be much more difficult for Army to make up that difference than it would be Western Kentucky.
1: For sure. And I'll just add getting up at 830 in the morning for tailgates and getting up at 830 in the morning for work are not the same at all. When I get up at 830 in the morning for tailgating, it makes like the Mario sound when I get out of bed, like, ba-ding! but like not the same when I have to like actually be on it at 830 in the morning. Um,
0: Excellent. Work. So,
1: <laughs> um, And then we have MTSU and uh, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech favored uh, by 19 and a half heading into this game that uh, kicks at 2 p.m. Eastern on ACC Network Extra. I think that's a fair line. When we saw Virginia Tech upset number 10 North Carolina last week, uh, we saw this Hokie team be very solid, obviously. I don't think it's going to be anywhere as easy to put up 50 on uh, this Virginia Tech team as it was for the Blue Raiders to do to Monmouth last week. I think we get a better idea of what weaknesses this MTSU has after they inevitably lose to Virginia Tech, though we shouldn't expect a blowout in my opinion, and hopefully they take it as a learning experience. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Joe, listen, I do believe that Virginia Tech will win this game, but I'm not going to lie. I was caught off guard by their upset of North Carolina. I didn't think that VT had uh, snowball's chance in hell. I thought it was really high on Sam Howell and Mac Brown and company, but they went there and played a really good ball game. So if that's the type of team that they are, then middle has no shot. If they're a little bit closer to the middle of the pack AAC team, that, or excuse me, ACC, wrong conference, that I, I, I thought they were, then I'll give middle a fighting shot. But all in all, I think Virginia Tech wins this game.
1: I have to wonder if, like, Justin Fuente went into that locker room and was just like, I'm begging you guys, like, we got to get some big wins because some people are not happy with me and what I've been able to turn in the last couple of years. (laughs) Um, And uh, staying down south, we have uh, number two Georgia hosting UAB. Uh, You can catch this one on ESPN2 at 330 Eastern. Uh, line is, uh, Georgia minus 24 and a half with the over under at 46. Uh, look, this Georgia team is incredibly good. In my opinion, college football playoff shoe in good, uh, defensively in particular, I think they're going to give UAB a lot of problems, uh, as high as I am on UAB within the context of conference USA, I think they need to come out of this game, just keeping everybody healthy and get that check for 1.8 mil in the bank immediately.
0: I would love to sit here and pick UAB like I picked UAB over UM last year. Of course, that win didn't happen, but Georgia's too good. Give me the dogs.
1: We're in agreement on that one then. And then we have FAU playing Georgia Southern at home, uh, 3.30 Eastern. Uh, I believe that one's just on local TV. Uh, FAU favored by seven heading into that one. Look, the Owls are favored by only a touchdown, but I think they win by more than that. We saw Georgia Southern struggle at times as they beat FCS Gardner Webb in the opener. Uh, if FAU shuts down Georgia Southern's running back Logan Wright, I don't think they have too many problems. Uh, also, FAU needs to be more efficient on third down this time around and and take care of the ball. I think I don't I don't know that I talked much about that when we recapped their loss to Florida, but those are the two things I think they really need to improve on.
0: Yeah, when looking at this game, Joe, and remember, this is a Georgia Southern team that beat FAU last year. You're going against a very unique offense, Joe. How many times have you and I talked about on this podcast that you're going to face that flex bone, triple option, wishbone type of offense, and it's so hard to prepare for when you only see it once a year. I think it's so much easier to, easier to prepare for it, excuse me, when you have it the opening game of the year, right? Because then you can spend all summer and all offseason focusing on that offense, and you go back to normal. But when you have to have a one-week shift, and say, all right, guys, forget everything we've been trying to teach you about every other offense you're going to face this year. Learn this. Granted, FAU played them last year, so a lot of those guys who are a part of that defense are going to have some experience. But keep an eye on this game. Georgia Southern, they're starting Cameron Newsome at quarterback, and I don't know that name because he's a former Armwood, uh, Armwood Hawk. Excuse me, I almost forgot the logo, the, the uh, mascot out here from uh, Tampa, Florida, one of the premier programs in the state of Florida. So he's a freshman. And is taking over for Georgia Southern, who had some quarterback issues in the offseason as far as graduating some guys and some guys getting suspended. I think it's going to be a very tight ball game. But just because of the youth that quarterback there with Cam Ransom, I, I just think that FAU, if there's any shot at really them kind of living up, their, living up to their potential, excuse me, they need to get this win because it, it can ill afford to go 0 2, especially against a team like Georgia Southern, who they lost to last year.
1: Completely agree there. Uh, with that, let's talk about Charlotte hosting Gardner-Webb, the team that uh, Georgia Southern just barely beat last week. Uh, I don't have too much to say about this one. Charlotte's for real. Uh, they're playing another night game at home. Uh, that one kicks at 6 o'clock Eastern. You can catch it on ESPN3. And look, they should have no problem with this Gardner-Webb team if they can keep Bailey Fisher, Gardner-Webb's quarterback, in check, which the Charlotte D-line is more than capable of doing.
0: Yeah, Joe, they beat Gardner-Webb 49-28 last year, and I think this is a better team than, obviously, you know. I think they beat them in 2019, 49-28, and this is a better team than than they had last year, probably similar to that team in 2019 as far as how they look, so give me the Niners.
1: And then we have UTSA hosting Lamar at 6 o'clock Eastern as well on ESPN3. Uh, Runners coming off of one of the biggest wins in program history at Illinois, as we talked about. Uh, The Alamo Dome is going to be rocking. Uh, should be a pretty easy encore for UTSA. So, I don't have too much to say about this one. Like we talked about, if Frank Harris is able to stay healthy and continue to be like one of the main features of this offense, then UTSA is pretty much unstoppable including, you know, it within the context of the G5 and definitely against an FCS foe like uh, Lamar
0: I think this game will be a great building block for Frank Harris coming off of the performance that I mentioned 280 yards against a Big 10 opponent to go out there and not only continue to develop as a passer but maybe you know put up 100 yards of the rusher right really get yourself going and get into the groove of this year give me you sa
1: Absolutely agree I I'm nervous to encourage Frank Harris to run more given what I was talking about earlier with just like staring at his knees like it's like watching anytime you have somebody uh coming back from that severe of a knee injury. It's like watching like a really close game of Jenga. You know what I mean? Like, is it gonna fall? Is it gonna <laughs> like you know, it's the same level of nerve-wracking in my opinion. Um, but then we have Marshall hosting North Carolina Central. Uh you can catch that one on ESPN plus kick is at 630 Eastern. Uh look. As good as their win against Navy was, they need Grant Wells to be more accurate. I'm not worried about this game for Marshall by any means, but the Eagles are a team that can surprise you if you go to sleep on them. That's how they beat Alcorn State in their opener. So if Marshall fixes the turnovers and their running game continues the momentum that they built in the Navy win, they'll be fine.
0: am going to keep it short and sweet, Joe. Just want to see Grant Wells play good football, not turn the football over. Two things he hasn't been able to do coming up his last What now, four performances. So give me the herd and just want to see Grant Wells progress.
1: Yeah, and then in Houston, we have Rice facing the University of Houston on CBS Sports Network with kick at 6.30. Uh, With this one, Houston favored by eight. Uh, I'm pretty surprised it's not more. If I was a betting man, I would take that like we were just talking about. Um, I think Rice showed a lot of made progress in that loss to Arkansas like we talked about. And this is something of a down year for Houston, at least by their standards. But I think Houston wins this one because of Clayton Tooney. Uh, but, but I think it's going to be an entertaining game. The over under is set at 54. So we'll see what happens in East Texas. Yeah.
0: As you mentioned, Clayton Toone there is one of the better quarterbacks in the American Conference. And they got guys like Mullah who which was like he's been playing football for 10 years. <laughs> I remember when he transferred to Houston. So give me the Cougars. It's a tough break for Rice. Why I'm predicting to go 0 2 with them losing this game. But. It, we'll see. I mean, it's going to really show what the program's going to be able to do if they can bounce back from these two games, but I do think Houston will get the victory.
1: Then we have Florida International hosting Texas State on ESPN Plus with kick at 7 Eastern. Uh, with this game, Texas State lost to Baylor by 9 last week. Jake all has that program on the right track, but I think FIU is a safe pick here. Uh, again, the uh, game talk, FIU rather, is uh, only by a one point heading into this game with the over-under set at 55-half. So I would look at that. But, yeah, I think the Panthers are a safe bet in this one, especially if Devontae Price keeps up what he you know started doing last week.
0: Texas State allowed 224.6 yards per game last year on the ground. Devontae Price is going to have a big game. I think the rest of the running backs will as well. But Joe, I am not so confident that this is going to be an easy victory for the Panthers. And let's not, you know, kind of bury the storylines here. There are a lot of storylines heading into this game. The Everett Withers Bowl. Everett Withers, current FIU defensive coordinator, led the Bobcats for three years, had a 5-28 record in his three years where he was dismissed 11 games to the 2018 season. His replacement in Jake Spavita, only one game better than him through the same period of time in terms of 21 games. So... Listen, this is one for Texas State that Jake Spavitao is like, hey, I got my brother's defensive coordinator. Uh, he's been here three years. We try and do everything, and I'm going up against my old replacement, and I, I need a bowl. I need to get to a bowl. I need a winning season. You don't want to start going to. Two teams who are in desperate need of good start. So I'm going to take the Panthers, but I definitely think this is one that Texas State, when you talk about the old adage, like, this team cannot afford to lose, for Jake Spavitao, it could get ugly in San Marcos. If you lose to the guy who you
1: replaced. Very solid point. Like that definitely adds some added intrigue to the game when you're talking about facing your old replacement uh, with Jake Spavitol going up against Everett uh, Everett Withers. Um, And then we have Louisiana Tech facing uh, FCS's Southeast Louisiana. Uh, You can catch that one on ESPN3 with kick set for 7 o'clock Eastern. With this one, Louisiana Tech are a safe pick here, I think. We saw how Austin Kendall runs that offense. I think this team's got, again, the grit that they need to make the rest for CUSA West interesting. Uh, This Southeast Louisiana team can score a lot of points through the air if you're not careful. So the Bulldogs will have have to tighten that pass defense a little bit. We saw them kind of crumble against Mississippi State in the fourth quarter in that regard. Uh, But ultimately, I think they come through with the win here, the Texters do.
0: With apologies to Southeast Louisiana. I believe they're the Lions, if memory serves me correct. Joe, they always remind me of the old, like, FCS Southeast when you played NCAA football, <laughs> you know, in yeah, the FCS Midwest, yeah. <laughs> the, the unnamed FCS team. That's always who they remind me of. So apologies to the Lions, but I, I just had to get that uh, wise crack out. Now, give me tech. I think All this right. would be a great game for Austin Kendall to build on as he really tries to, you know, take that, that starting role and make it his, as you mentioned, Luke Anthony and his recovery is still a, a work in progress. And Aaron Allen is the number two. So definitely a good game for Luke Anthony and that defense to really break out. So give me the Bulldogs.
1: And then let's move on to a rivalry game up in North Texas, SMU hosting the North Texas mean green at seven o'clock Eastern on ESPN plus uh, with this game, a lot of energy going into it, given the rivalry, but SMU favorites by twenty-two and a half. and a half. The Ponies' fast-paced offense put up 56 on Abilene Christian last week. I think both of these teams score quite a bit, but ultimately SMU are are going to get more stops in North Texas in this game, and uh, that's why I'm picking the Mustangs.
0: Joe, one of my favorite rivalries, one that as we had Brett Vito on in the offseason talked about, it's... The rich kids and all their money and their cars versus, you know, the uh, the good old kids who go to UNT, the public school, right? Unfortunately, in this case, or unfortunately for Conference USA fans, I should say, not that I have anything against SMU. Give me the ponies. I think there's more well equipped to get this game. Not that I don't think that North Texas can't put up a fight, but I do think SMU will get the ball, get the win here. And then we
1: have Old Dominion hosting Hampton at 7 o'clock on ESPN 3 from SB Ballard Norfolk. Uh I think Old Dominion wins this game. Hampton are by no means a bad team, but I think this old Dominion, this is this game is Old Dominion's best chance at a win all year. And I'd like to think they're not going to let that slip away.
0: Listen, the Pirates of Hampton, again, they are no slouch. They're kind of one of those blue-blood traditional HBCUs that I've talked about, like Bethune Cookman. But I do think all in all, ODU is just more talented. They're returning to, to SB Ballard Stadium. Return to football. That crowd in Norfolk is going to be fired up. That's actually a game I'm going to want to get my eyes on, of course, after the fact because I'll be at FIU Stadium covering the Panthers. But give me the Monarchs, and I don't think it'll be close. I think they're going to come out too fired up and ready to not disappoint that home crowd after a year away.
1: And then to wrap things up, we have Southern Miss hosting Grambling at 7 o'clock on ESPN3 in Hattiesburg. And with this one, the Southern Miss just needs to show some signs of life. In my opinion, Grambling's offense is not as high powered of the lot uh, as a lot of the other FCS teams that we've talked about just in this episode. So if the Golden Eagles can't get this done at home. That's a problem. But, you know, look, as we talked about, I think they have a lot of the weapons, but the execution just has to be better than what we saw last week against South Alabama.
0: Sure, absolutely. And it seems like the, the, I'm just repeating myself when I talk about traditional HBCUs, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Grambling as one of those programs. But all in all, Southern Miss is just way more talented. I think Frank Gore Jr. alone should be able to put up a performance that should get Southern Miss to win. So I just want to see them build upon, not last week, because I hope they throw last week completely out the door, but build upon last year, some of the the late season success they had in terms of beating FAU. Want to see them kind of, you know, get back to that type of momentum against Grambling and get the
1: W. In the words of Ted Lasso, be a goldfish. Which have you watched that yet, Eric, by the way? And I don't know if you're a soccer guy or not.
0: I, I am a soccer guy, but I have not seen a Lasso.
1: Okay. Once you watch it, you'll kind of understand why. Healy reminds me a lot of him. I don't know if anybody else had that kind of feeling that's listening when, if anybody watched Ted Lasso and then kind of watched a lot of like Healy's press availability after the Duke win, especially, but. There's a lot of similarities, honestly. So, I it's worth your time. It's worth your time. With that, then we'll say once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, to all of you that are, you know, in the aftermath of the tropical storm and all that once again we say you know stay safe and hope everything gets uh, back to normal for you sooner rather than later uh thanks as always to taylor bauer who keeps us sounding good uh hopefully we'll have him back uh soon and he's in our thoughts as well um and uh, with that we'll be back next week to talk about some more uh pretty exciting matchups for cusa and hopefully for the sake of this conference the momentum stays up Uh, happy football watching everybody we will talk to you very soon